Hello and welcome back to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley, Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the fishing community since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest effort, the Fisherman's Post Podcast Series. And in this Saltwater Podcast Series, We call on our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights on how to catch more fish more often. And so we're hoping to empower you with that information to catch more fish more often. But I think part of that goal is just to get you to spend more time on the water, get your confidence up, spend more time with more family, more friends, more time on the water. I think that's one of our big goals here. Um, This particular episode, I'm going to be talking to Captain Mitchell Blake of Fish IBX Charters out of Washington, North Carolina. Uh, The title of this episode is Casting for Trophy Red Drum. Casting for Trophy Red Drum. Uh, We're going to go over gear selection. Then we're going to talk about locating trophy class reds. We're going to talk about implementation, finding the hookup. It's going to include some insights about, you know, what you might have in your toolbox to help you find that success. And then ultimately, Mitchell's going to tell us a little bit just about this great resource that we have here in our backyard of North Carolina. Before I get to Mitchell, though, I want to introduce you to my co-host, Billy Thorpe. Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Welcome to another podcast. What's going on, Gary? Good to see you, man. Always good, man. Always good. Glad we got the blue shirts. Both got the memo. That's right. I just never change shirts, so. And if you guys would please r- <laughs> comment in and say who's wearing blue better, uh. we've, we've got a five dollar bet. <laughs> Probably the guy who was at the tanning bed <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> What's been happening, Gary? Nothing too much. Talking fishing. fishing. I'm working right, on man. going fishing. I've been talking fishing. I don't mind talking fishing. I'm very much looking forward to talking to a longtime friend Mitchell about trophy class red drum in an unbelievable fishery and i know this is going to be a popular episode i heard he's the guy so i'm excited man yeah excited man. to learn all right well let's talk a little bit about how to watch how to listen if you're doing one of those you know how but if not i'm going to go ahead and pull up this slide here you can listen on spotify podbean stitcher apple podcast google play music uh, and then also watch us on youtube and the easiest way for you to uh, go check us out is go to fishermanspost.com and look at the podcast tab there you can watch and listen gives you all the links all the ways to 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 get to those platforms but be sure to subscribe that helps us the most with the algorithms uh so we want you to be able to get all the shows as they come out uh, so that's the best way to do that um and making this show possible today is our friends over at marine warehouse center we appreciate those guys a lot and uh got a little word from them and we'll be right back in a second Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. Boom. Good looking boats, man, as always. They are good looking boats. Good looking boats. videos. Good looking Makes boats. me want to hop in my boat and go for a ride. Makes me want to go. Which is serviced by Marine Warehouse Center. I know. 
And you know what? I've been starting this thing, Billy. I want to let people in on some of the people that make (laughs) Marine Warehouse Center possible. I mean, it's a great place, sales, service, parts, but it's the people. And now, if you're waiting for the punchline, there isn't going to be a punchline with this one. And this isn't me straight facing. Um, I figured I can't just make jokes. I can't just talk about embarrassing things or make stuff up. So this is legit. And I, you probably still don't believe me, but I mean, I, yeah, I'm like skeptical. So here's our, here's the employee I want to talk about today. Zenny Milne, Zenny Milne, a mechanic there. All right. So I thought is an interesting character, approximately 19 years old, from South Africa, living on a sailboat, has a background in motocross, went to Cape Fear Community College, Jeez. got educated in outboard engines, and now he's doing great work for Marine Service Center. That's awesome. So that's just it. That was my thought what a here. resume. You know, it's the people that really, truly make a company. And Marine Warehouse Center has great people. And so there it is. There's my that's straight good. delivery. There and is no, no punchline. There is none. I think we have to have a punchline, Gary. So we're going to play a little game <laughs> that you don't even know about because I'm making it up. I'm going to see if I can make you laugh. So you keep a straight face. I'm going to give you my best one-liner. Right, I'm going to look right into the camera. And see if you laugh. I'm already laughing. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I think I'm already smiling. Don't you hate it when someone answers their own questions? I do. <laughs> I got better ones. I'll bring better ones. But I thought that was funny because anyway. I, thought, I mean, I did too. I <laughs> laughed. That's horrible. <laughs> what a stupid joke. Oh, man. What else we got to do? A fish I gotta, photo. I got to show you a show fish photo. Show me a fish photo. Here we go. Look at this. CC Lowe of Nags Head with a 20-inch red drum caught near Oregon Inlet using a Carolina rig with some cut shrimp. Nice looking fish. Nice looking fish. I'm I'm wondering, you know, how long it takes that fish to get to Mitchell up the Pamlico and get up to about 50 inches, man. Maybe yeah. Mitchell will touch on that. Right. How long those so. how long it takes a slot red drum to get up to those 50-inch size that everyone wants to target here in August, September. Yeah. Great photo. Um, Billy I'm going to go talk to Mitchell, but I'd like to remind you at this point in the show that I'm coming back to you at the end of the feature presentation to ask for Billy's best takeaway. All right. I'm excited, man. I got my notes. I have a feeling you're going to have a lot to choose from. I got my handy-dandy pen this week. Take so notes. I'm excited, man. Excited. So now I go to Captain Mitchell Blake of Fish IBX Charters out of Washington, North Carolina. We're going to talk about casting for Trophy Red Drum. Welcome to the Fisherman's Post podcast series captain mitchell blake appreciate you guys having me yeah man this is a treat for us man i was happy to get you on i i knew it was going to be a popular topic man so many people are curious about the trophy red drum the old red drum the big red drum the citation red drum i mean however you word it they they care and i think you're the right guy to talk to us about casting for trophy red drum uh mitchell though before we go any further, I don't like to waste my viewers, my listeners' time. So please tell them. They're thinking they might want to change the channel. Please tell them why they should listen to you talk about Trophy Red Drum. We spend a lot of time chasing these drums. And in, in eastern North Carolina, has seen a huge transition on this fishery. And I'd like to think that you know, we were a part in that transition uh, maybe out of, out of uh, necessity. But um, we get a lot of anglers from all over to come in, you know, to fish for them. And, and we just uh, we stay focused on it and try to do our best in, in uh, meeting the expectations. And, uh, you know, it's uh, folks come in with high expectations. I mean, they're targeting truly the, tro- you know, trophy red drum, the largest red drum most will ever catch in their lifetime. 
Yeah, man. I mean, it's a great show. It is. It's a memory. You know, those Big Red Drum are a memory. And I want to get to it, but we have yet one more feature to get through. And this is the, we call it the two questions feature, but really, I think I only have, I think I only have one. I have, well, I don't know how you word this. Here is my angle. We're talking about Big Red Drum. So I'm at the computer thinking, what am I going to talk about with Mitchell? What's going to be my non-fishing question? Red Drum, Red Drum. Redheads. So I have three statements about redheads, and you tell me whether each one is true or false. You got me? Redheads feel pain differently than people with different color hair. True, false? Absolutely. Uh, true. It is true. I didn't know that until I Googled it, but you nailed it. It is true that they feel pain differently. Um, how about this one? Redheads have more and better sex. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that was true too. Um, again, I don't, I don't have the study in front of me, but apparently there was a German study that documented it. It is true. Third, redheads have less hair than people with different color hair. False. If it wasn't false, if you answered a different way, how would you answer? False again. It's true. They have less hair. Something like two thousand less than blondes, and like five thousand less than brunettes, or something like that. And I'm, I'm winging it. I'm winging it. Three, just when I thought I knew my reds. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell, let's save these viewers and listeners from this talk about redheads. Let's go to big reds. Talk to me about gear selection, an important part of the process. Gear selection. Okay. Uh, the the first thing out of the bat. Um, we're chasing trophy red drum, uh, much different than the puppy drum or uh, probably the most popular, the slot class drum or what have you. So the, the gear selection is right much different, uh, especially the way we target them. Uh, we primarily focus on artificial baits now. Um, this has become an extremely popular uh, artificial bait fishery. and for myself and my customers, what I have found best as far as uh, you know, rod and reel selection is a, a 4,000 to a 5,000 class reel, uh, full of braid, 30 pound class braid. Um, particular rods, I would say if, uh, you know, because traditionally this, this fish, fishery was, uh, you know, a bait fishery, a dead bait fishery, live bait fishery. It kind of kind of transitioned big time uh, a few years ago, and with throwing these artificial lures, uh, a lot of folks are looking for a medium, actually to a medium heavy rod. Um, so, I would suggest to anybody that's uh, picking this up for the first time, or maybe they've done it a few times and want to, uh, you know, want to kind of advance in it, to look for that outfit. You know, a, a I like longer rods. Uh, just for the, the casting ability, kind of uh, relating it to a, to a surf rod. But uh, definitely that medium-heavy action is what I like. And it's like 4,000-class reel, 5,000-class reel, and 30-pound uh, braid. All right, now take me to the terminal tackle. Um, terminal tackle aspect, uh, the... Some folks will go from the braid 
to a uh, to a little shot later, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the uh, artificial scene on this primarily. Uh, Pop and cork has become a uh, it's an outstanding way to target these fish. It, it gives you what they want. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The pop and cork method, tried and true, is probably number one. But uh, you're running that braid either straight to a pop and cork with a leader going to an artificial lure of choice, uh, or you're running that braid to a short piece of uh, leader going to a top order bait, could be a swim bait or what have you. And uh, but I mean that's if you're going after these things with artificial, that is the that is the makeup. Yeah, let's let's uh, keep the conversation on the artificial. Let's not go bait for today because we don't we don't have that. I mean, I hope we fit everything in just talking about yep. artificials. So, give me some uh, thoughts on uh, what pop and cork you like. Give me some thoughts on what soft plastics you like. There's uh, I use a variation of pop and corks. Uh, one that's probably uh, extremely popular throughout the East Coast, uh, of course, is uh, blabbermouth pop and cork. Um, I also use some some foam corks in a mix, and across the industry, there's all different brands that have uh, different styles of popping corks. But uh, uh, Billy Bay makes several applications of popping corks that have a concave lip in them, uh, titanium wire, uh, beads. They make several different sounds that you can choose from. Uh, there's several other brand corks out, and I've even uh, I've even tampered around a little bit making some of my own corks whenever I wanted a sound that was a little bit different than uh, kind of run of the mill. Um, actually, you know, cut out and carved uh, some actually some wooden corks of my own that I've used. And as far as soft plastics go, uh, several different brands depending on what the fish are feeding on. But uh, a lot of times I'll put a uh, shrimp pattern underneath it. Um, sometimes I'll use a swim bait pattern underneath it, uh, and those two primarily will, will get the job done if you're around these reds. And then keep in mind, you know, we're using, I'm using a large profile bait most of the time. Um, the perfect sinker makes a good shrimp, four inch profile. Uh, if I'm around shrimp, those fish are feeding on shrimp, but if I'm out in open water, uh, I'll put a great big paddle tail, and this could be uh, a Yeehaw brand swim bait this could be uh, a lot of folks like the z-man uh, there's a there's a variety of different paddle tails you can put behind these that uh that will definitely get these fish's attention and even switching over to the hard bait you know, your rattle traps yo-yo and your rattle traps you know, top water chuggers large size walking dog patterns like spooks you know, all those are extremely effective lures and I think sometimes the more the more uh, volume you can get, the more noise these lures make, uh, the more traction these reds have to it. All right. So I'm going to do a little bit of follow-up here. So on the popping corks, so basically different popping corks make different sounds. And so that's what might have you using one popping cork over another. I know you mentioned concave, so we're looking for... I mean, are you looking for a pop and cork that makes the biggest noise, the biggest splash? And then, and just so I don't forget, I'm going to give you a two-part. And then on the uh, paddle tails, are those two like in the four-inch size, or are you going even bigger with that? One even bigger. Uh, four-inch probably would be minimum. 
Um, most of it's uh, six and sometimes even eight inch stuff. All right. Now, what about the popkin corks? What's how do I tell one different? Like, what am I looking for? That that popkin cork end of it, uh, I would advise anybody that's going to target these fish to carry uh, probably three different corks on the boat. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go guide on you. So it's right. uh, whenever I have a party on the boat. Uh, whenever I get started in the morning, most of the time, each individual will have a different style cork that we're throwing simultaneously. Everybody be everybody be casting an application with the popping cork, but it will be uh, most time three different brands, three different noises, and we'll dissect what the fish want from there. Um, I have seen these fish in action. Uh, they want something that's loud, but I have seen these corks produce probably a different bass uh, in the water, and I've seen fish respond to it drastically different day in and day out. Um, and I think that's one of the things as a guide that you get to, you get a chance to learn, and and the folks that uh, you know are taking a vacation day that may get to go fish for these fish once or twice. A lot of times they're pushing or hearing you know about one specific popping cork um, over the other I mean I'm gonna be hundred percent honest with you right now don't get hung up on one specific cork uh, especially if you have multiple people on the boat uh, grab you a handful of corks and see what the fish want that particular day right. if we that will increase your bite I'm telling you and then on to I think this might finish it up on tournament tackle so underneath that popping cork and I'm tying to my soft plastic you got any opinion about what kind of hook I'm putting on there and then what am I doing and fluoro we, and how long how long of that leader do you have hanging out underneath that popping cork that's a that's a great thing to key on um, the the leader material a lot of times I'm using a 30 to a 40 pound test line uh, leader and I will vary that leader from approximately 26, 28 inches. I have run them as long as 36, 38, maybe even 40 inches. And that's a that's a big difference when you're talking about popping forks. And a lot of people say, you know, now who in the world would put a three foot leader underneath uh, between the cork and the lure? But if you think about our system, uh, Eastern North Carolina, Pamlico, Sound, Noose River, it gets extremely rough. And when you're targeting these fish, a lot of times you're not tucked up tight to the shoreline. You're, you're kind of exposed and out in the elements. And if you think about it, if it's dead, slick, calm, or you have a little ripple, a little wind on the, on the river, a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm trying to keep that lure somewhat close to that cork. As it gets rougher, as the seas pick up or you're dealing with a situation where it's white capping, I'll actually extend that to get the below the white cap or as it gets rough. And when you're popping that cork, uh, that lures down below. Those fish are hunted up. But the longer leaders work really well when it gets rough, when it's slick calm or you're not dealing with a, with a rough situation, I want that leader shortened up a lot. Um, I'll actually have it really close to the cork. Um, that makes sense, man. I follow that logic. What about what about the hook? Any uh, before we move off of terminal tackle, any opinion about the hook? Hooks have come a long ways. Whenever we uh, if, when the guides and folks started uh, started 
messing around with the artificial lure and it started catching on steam, uh, guides were actually looking for a, a, a hook that would work, a hook that was stout enough to hold his fish, but yet light enough to give the pre correct presentation. Uh, a lot of different hooks have been used from J hooks. A lot of folks were using wire hooks. A lot of times if you were looking for a, a six to a eight out hook that you needed uh, that was beefy enough to hold these fish, uh, the jig head would, wasn't proportioned right. Uh, it would be a three eighths ounce jig head or something. Uh, what I find works best is an eighth of an ounce to a quarter of an ounce jig head uh, to a soft plastic underneath these corks. And there's a lot of companies now that have really called attention to what we're doing and said, hey, that's a fishery that, that we're interested in. Uh, that's a fishery that's going to catch on. Let's start producing a hook that'll match, let's say, a quarter ounce lead head to a uh, eight out hook. And you know, Z-Man made, uh, there's a bunch of companies now that are making hooks and jig heads uh, that are accommodating to this fishery. I think one of the one of the first hooks as I was exploring and calling everybody on the eastern seaboard and actually taking hooks myself and, you know, leading them myself and wrapping wire on them to get the correct fall pattern that, that was needed that I seen these fish would key on. Uh, it took a little bit of time. It took years. And we went through a lot of the wrong hooks to find right hooks. And now, now a lot of times I'm using a EWG, extra wide gap hook. Uh, that the bass guys that would actually use and I can get that in quarter ounce um, eighth of an ounce with great big hooks uh, like I say I went to I actually went to the bass market and uh, and then got some of the hooks now that I'm using in a saltwater application but the saltwater industry has definitely caught hold and said hey that's a that's a uh, fishery that, that's in the making and upcoming so there are jig heads out there that you can find. But if you think about it, behind that popping cork that you got that leader, when you pop that lure and it hops up, you want to you want to fall flutter presentation. And these reds, if they're they, they can't hardly stand it. It's a definite game changing pattern. Well, man, help me out with finding some fish. I think every time I fish your area, anytime I'm Pamlico Noose, I just think to myself, there is so much water here. How do I find these red drum? Because everything looks fishy and there's just such expanse. You know, and that's a Wrightsville Beach guy with a little ICW talking about how much water you have. So let's go right into it. Help me out. How am I going to find some big reds? You know, Gary, we've got a, we've got a lot of water. Uh, I was actually listening to a situation this morning uh, in preparation for this. They were talking about, you know, red drum fishing and how it works from this application worked from North Carolina all the way down to the Gulf Coast. And they were basically talking about, you know, grass flats. They were talking about oyster beds. They were talking about tides. Um, well, the Noose River, Pamlico Sound, and Pamlico River, Pungo River, you can you can about cancel those three out. <laughs> uh, when you're thinking about the application of a puppy drum or slot class drum as opposed to uh, an adult trophy drum, uh, they're two separate species, and and what I want to to you know tell the listening public is they are two they they fish like two separate species. Um, the adult trophy class drum 
they don't care about having to stick around a, a, a grass flat. They don't care about having to stick around structure. If you think about it, he's an open water fish. Uh, he's at the top of his game. Uh, these fish are coming in from the ocean and slipping into the sound. Basically, is a it's a reproduction situation that brings them in. They're spawning, and he's not he's not concentrated or subject to be in one area over another. And so there's there's two things on this fish's mind when he's in our area. One, like I say, is reproduction. The other's food, and that's what drives these fish. And day in and day out, you know, we're running customers, and we get uh, we get a chance to be around this this fishery, in these fish for probably, I mean, we'll we'll target them 60, 70 days out of the season every day. And when you get back to the dock, anglers ask you questions, people ask you questions, and and a lot of what I see from from the general public is, they say, hey, I've got to, I've got to launch my boat, and I've got to get to X spot in order to catch these fish and a lot of times they run by some of the best fishing to be had for that day um, with these big fish they move a lot and they move often and they're not subject to be in you know on location x today i've got to get right back to that spot tomorrow now this fishery really doesn't seem to work that way so what are they like in your area? So what, what is it that we're looking for? Is it a certain depth of water? Is it a change underneath the surface on the on the floor? Is it all driven by bait? Help help me out. I would say, to be successful at this, you need to concentrate on on the bait scenario, and the bait scenario is going to give you a lot of different. There's a lot of different things that come in on the bait. And then the key to the key to our fisheries, uh, our fishery for this trophy red drum, in our area, is we don't have a huge tidal flux. There's not a huge situation of, you know, at six o'clock today the tide's going to be rushing out, or at four o'clock today the tide's going to be switching. When you start talking about the uh, the Noose River, Pamlico Sound, especially the Western Pamlico, Pungo, uh, Pamlico. There's not a huge tide swing, so uh, your best indication is, is to look for bait. Uh, if you find bait, you know you're in you're, you know you're in good water, and you know you're keying on one or the two things that drives this fish. The, the sole reason he's here. Uh, so if you get around bait, you're in the right spot. You're not sitting you're not setting yourself up where you're fishing in an area that has dead water or low oxygen, you know, low, uh, a water that's uh, stagnant, um, the bait's not going to, it's not going to find, it's not going to try to, it's not going to put itself in a, in a bad situation if it can help it. And these uh, trophy drum are going to be somewhere around that bait, I guarantee you. Is this, uh, am I going around looking for bait on the surface? Am I going around looking for bait on the machine? And during this time, I guess we're talking what, like August, September, what is the primary bait source that I'm looking for? August, September, uh, what I like to find and what I've seen these fish on probably the most are Atlantic Menhaden. And if we've got a, if we've got a year that the shrimp are really thick, um, 
these fish they're not going to turn down that shrimp uh, so myself uh, every year changes a little bit and in August and September is going to be your your two key months for this fishery uh, especially in our area and it's uh, so those are the those are the two you know basic food factors I'm looking for when I when I roll out uh, customer hires me we hit the boat I tell him what the expectations are what I've done that week and kind of you know what we're looking for and when I leave the gate I'm not headed to a, a certain location X I got to get there come come uh, you know snow or blow I got to I got to be at this spot now if we caught fish there yesterday I'm definitely going back to that area but if I intercept something before I get there that looks fishable I'm stopping the fish and shrimp and menhaden are, are two of the majors you seeing the fish are you seeing the bait on the surface or are you seeing the bait on the machine or both at some point during the day uh, that bait is going to come to the surface especially menhaden uh, if you've got a pressure situation a barometric pressure or for some reason the bait is pushed down uh, then I'm eyeballing my machine but uh, each day is going to be a little bit different you know if the wind situation picks up and you can't visually see the bait with your eye then I'm using the machine uh, but just look at what's uh, look at what's given that day and it'll tell you what you need to do if, if you've been riding fishing for two hours and uh, you know, all of a sudden you look around and you see bait a half a mile off starting to surface. Uh, you may need to switch your game plan and go check out that bait, that bait source. If you're riding along on your machine, you're not seeing bait, and then all of a sudden you run into an area where your machine starts to light up, uh, then utilize that to your advantage. And this day and this day and age, I mean, electronics are uh, everybody's trying to get the next unit the next best unit you know so there are anglers that that certainly gear themselves up to use the machines and there's anglers that fish traditionally you know off of uh, you know using their senses their visual senses uh, so whichever way you are comfortable with I would say uh, you know kind of highlight what you like to do if you like to use electronics favor to the electronics if you're old school, then uh, you know just use your senses, what you what you're seeing, and uh, when you find that bait, you're going to find fish. All right, um, one more question, I think, before we move on to implementation. It just came to mind as you're talking. Um, is there such a thing, or what would be considered too shallow, and is there such a thing as too deep a water to really expect these red drum in your turf? Too deep, too shallow. What do you got for me? Here's uh, for the for the listening audience. If if you guys don't take anything from this, hear me out on this. There, I've caught these fish in two foot of water. I've caught these fish in twenty two foot of water. I will generally try to start out shallow. Um, these fish will go up shallow they they like i say there's there's no there's nothing to keep him out of two foot of water there's nothing to keep him out of 22 foot of water if the bait's there he's comfortable uh, what these fish can't stand and what they will not tolerate is folks running over them uh, 
a lot of the boat disturbance, a lot of traffic. Uh, they just they won't tolerate it. They'll they'll either move off deep, and in some cases I've seen them move extremely shallow. And hear me out on this: it's uh, if I've got a fishing group day in and day out, I will try to start shallow because I can cover more water faster. Otherwise, if a fish is in four foot of water or three foot of water, and I throw a lure, I can work it faster. I'm covering a lot more water per se where a fish may be. When I drop off to 22 foot of water and I'm having a fish, it's a lot different water column. Otherwise, the, the, the fish could be close, but you're having to work a little bit harder for them if that makes sense. Yeah, man, I follow that. Last year, there, were, there was a situation where everybody everybody was chasing a drum said, you know, hey, the fish are on uh, Menhaden schools. You just need to run from bait school to bait school to bait school. And there were a lot of people doing it. They would drive an outboard motor, boat right up to the bait school. They'd fish it for a few minutes. They'd see another bait school. They'd fire up the motor, if they even shut it off, and zoom right to the next one and fished out one for three minutes and then they would chase down another and they were running all over the shoals, all over the flats. Um, it was comical to watch. And as a, uh, you know, from a guide perspective, you may be set up on a, you know, to, to fish a shoal six or eight foot of water. You may, you may set it up and say, get your mind right, I'm gonna fish this entire shoal from, from point A to point B. And, you know, when folks run over it, these fish are going to drop off. Uh, last year I was finding some cases where these fish were actually, I don't know whether they were being forced up shallow, but they were finding comfort in shallow water. And we were actually sneaking out a few fish that I would have never, I would have never fished at prior to. And basically that pattern, I tried that pattern just off of uh, other anglers making, uh, I would call it mistakes, but I mean, basically, you pick a Saturday on the uh, Noose River and you've got, you know, three boat ramp full, you know, they're full to the max and everybody's trying to get a fish and uh, they start running and gunning and next thing you know, they've got, you know, 10 major shoals on the Noose River shut completely down. These fish are spooked off of them. So uh, do not put yourself in a box and say, I need to be in 13 foot of water. Uh, these methods work in 20 foot of water these methods of work in two foot of water all right so maybe now's the time to like walk me through the process so you've got your eye on a shoal up ahead or you've got your eye on some bait schools you've noticed up ahead so what's the pro i'm on your boat what's the process we we have eyeballed we have confidence that there's some fish or at least the chance of fish up ahead what happens next i'm guessing from what you just said we're turning off the engine and we're going to trolling motor? Absolutely. Uh, there's there's a couple of different ways I'll do it. And, you know, I'm going to, I'll explain to my group, hey, this is, uh, you know, be confident in what we see. There's a, there's a lot of bait here, uh, be it on the machine or on the surface. If it's on the surface, uh, of course, the anglers are more involved. Otherwise, they're believing in what they're getting ready to do. And I'll stop before I get to that bait and... We don't have a we don't have a tide per se. Most of it's a wind tide. So, um, me personally, I'm going to try to get upwind of the bait or the shoal I want to fish, and I'm going to try to drift it with the wind and make 
zero noise if I can possibility. You know, if I if I have that possibility, I want noise to a minimum. And when I'm talking about noise, I want outboard motor noise shut off. Um, I don't want to be on my trailer trailer motor, but very little. Otherwise, I want to set my drift up where I intercept that bait or I intercept that ledge just right where I can pick those fish off and they don't ever know I'm there. Uh, the only noise I want competing is this angler's cork against that angler's cork against that angler's top water plug. And so is this, if we're getting a bite, is it mostly, are they keying in on that? Is it more of a noise or is it more of a visual? Noise will attract these fish. Uh, and if you look at the, the corks we're throwing, otherwise, if you walk into the tackle shop tomorrow and they've got seven different styles, they'll have seven or eight different style popping corks. Uh, go with the biggest one you can find, one that pushes the most water. Because if these fish are sitting on a flat and or they're on a bait ball and they're, they're actively feeding or they're hanging out around that bait ball just waiting, you know, they've been feeding on it and they just haven't left it yet. They're still, they're still hanging out. Uh, and all of a sudden they start hearing fish busting or they hear, you know, some of those corks actually sound like a, like a red drum itself busting on the water. Uh, especially if you have a, a rod application that can make that much noise out of a cork. And if these fish start hearing, bait getting chased or the simulation of bait getting chased through a cork or you know what's equivalent to a red drum busting something on top water when they hear that activity coming two and three corks wide uh, they're going to hunt it up they're going to investigate it that's what makes this you know this this fishery and this application so phenomenal what this what makes it so effective and if when these fish see that bait falling out they're going to they're, they're coming to it so, if you get in an area where there's more than one fish, they're going to compete for it. All right, I'm on your boat, and we're seeing a, maybe one, maybe a couple of bait pods. Mm -hmm. Are my instructions to try to land that cork right in the middle of the bait pod or be in the vicinity of the bait pod? I look at how that bait's up on the surface, and it's turning. Men hating a lot of times a turn, they'll, they'll spiral and move in a direction. Uh, one day the bait may be moving to the west and the next day the bait's moving to the east and what I'll do is uh, I'll look at that bait ball and if you sit off for a while and watch a you know a, a ball of menhaden they're going across and all of a sudden they shower Whoosh! you know you can hear them you can visually see it uh, more than likely something's cutting those fish be it a you know a big drum or or there may be bluefish around it that are cutting them. But either way, there's a food chain. There's a food chain. There's a reaction that's happening. So if I'm actively seeing that bait get cut, uh, I may throw right in the middle of it and let that lure fall out of it. Or, you know, that bait will scurry. And what's left? One bait falling underneath the popping cork. Uh, if that bait isn't being extremely... Uh, Aggressive, I may hit around the edge of it so that I don't bust the bait ball up or I don't make the bait ball submerge. I want to keep it up. Uh, and I'll tell you a scenario. Last year, we were fishing. I came out of the gate, picked my crew up, and I was running to a shallow spot where the fish had been eating shrimp. And 
it was an area off the side. Nobody was running through it. It wasn't a, uh, you know, it wasn't a hot spot like coming out of Adams Creek or coming out of Oriental or uh, Gum Thicket. You know, it was a it was a place off off beaten path. Nobody was fishing, and those fish were eating shrimp. So I was running to it. And I saw a huge menhaden ball. And I pulled it back and told my gang. I said, Hey, scratch what we're doing. You know what I told you about this morning. I said we're going to fish this bait ball. Uh, pulled up to the edge of it. I said, Hey, hit the edge of it. And we caught a fish off the edge, and directly we caught another fish off the edge of it. And this bait ball kind of intercepted with another bait ball. And nobody else intercepted. We didn't, I, my customers stayed really calm, cool, and collective. They didn't throw the corks in the bait ball and bust it up. And the bait ball stayed up for four hours. And we caught fish consecutively for four hours off one bait ball. Uh, it was just fortunate that everybody was patient, you know, everybody's making correct casts. They didn't bust a bait ball up, it stayed up. So uh, if you pull up to a bait ball and you you throw in it or somebody on your boat throws right in the middle of it and the bait ball busts, it just, you know, diminishes, then more than likely there aren't, you know, red drum actively, trophy red drum actively on that bait ball. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, a little bit of trial and error, but probably the worst thing you could do is start running and gunning from bait ball to bait ball to bait ball to bait ball. You know, you'll shut everything down. All right. So when it's a hot bite, it's a hot bite. But let's assume it's not a hot bite. You want to do you want to do everything right to give yourself the best chance of a hookup. You want your clients, the people on your boat, to do everything just right to give the best odds for a hookup. So if that's the scenario then what's my instructions? And I'm talking like cast it as far as I can, the speed with which I'm popping that cork, you know, anything you can give me to help put what Mitchell Blake believes to be the best action on that popping cork soft plastic setup. There's a, there's a scenario that I try to put with my customers. It's uh, any, if you think about this, uh, you, you're chasing the largest red drum that you're, you're anticipating on catching the largest red drum in that system. The largest red drum you'll ever catch, more than likely. Uh, there are days that it's slow. Uh, this fishery is as much mental as it is anything. It is not for the weak at heart because you're casting big plugs and you're having to work them. And if you're kind of checked out, half-hearted at it, then your chances of catching fish decrease. But if, if I have to say to someone, hey, you're having a tough day, you're starting to second guess yourself, then uh, you know, rethink it mentally and start paying attention. What you want to do is you want to cast, if you have two people on the boat, you know, cast ahead of the boat where you're drifting, quartering away. So that way you're covering a large area. Uh, stay focused. The more noise you make, the more noise two people make, the more noise three people make with, with lures, the more you're going to entice these fish. Uh, I always tell my customers to try to carry the largest swath that they can carry. Otherwise, if, you're, if you step up to fish on the port side, stay on the port side. Um, if you step up to fish on the starboard side, stay on the starboard side, focus forward. Uh, don't fish the area we've already run over. And if you do so, if you pay attention to the small details, then suddenly you're going to hear drag start to scream. 
and you're going to turn a maybe a, a, a goose egg day into a three fish day or a three fish day into a six fish day and, and any anybody can anybody can do this it's what what separates someone that's on the water all the time um, from you know catching the the local fishing report that says oh they're on fire well they may be on fire for somebody and somebody else may be having to work at it or somebody else may be missing the the, the small steps that make it a, a huge success uh, but if if uh, if you're having a tough day on it stay focused stay focused stay focused keep popping the cork keep throwing the top water and be ready at any given moment if you see that cork go down sometimes it may stand up uh, sometimes it may just go off in your hand. Don't forget to set the hook. Uh, otherwise, close your end of the deal. Because this isn't, you know, this isn't a fish that you may make ten casts and you're going to catch one. Uh, I've got a lot of anglers that I've been very fortunate. I get a lot of anglers from all over the world that come and fish with me. A lot of them out of the Gulf Coast, Louisiana, Texas, and they're coming to me to fish for six hours to catch. You know, can you really put me on the largest red drum I've ever? caught and we're very fortunate in North Carolina that we can do that a lot of times we can't compete with the numbers that they do in Louisiana uh, Texas and those places but we certainly have certainly have big fish all right so how about this mathematically am I popping that cork every four seconds and um, does it do you mix it up and is there a certain technique when I am popping the cork to get the most pop splash out of that action I was uh I mix it up uh, and I was fortunate to run a boat with a tower on it for for a couple years and I watched a lot of these corks I spent a lot of time in the tower looking down at bait balls uh, looking at bait balls to see if they had fish in them seeing customers work corks different corks from the tower looking down and I have seen customers working a cork, and mind you, they're down on the deck, so their field of their their field of view, they can't see the fish; they can see the cork. I've seen trophy drum come up behind a cork, and let's just say this is the cork. I've seen the fish nose up to it, looking at it. They pop the cork; it moves a foot. The fish moves a foot, looking at it. They pop the cork; it moves a foot fish moves a foot still looking at it and you you catch it out of the corner out hey you got a fish looking at your court and the customer's like you pop it harder and suddenly they pop it harder like you know really move the court and what happens is the bait then jumps up and almost hits the court and suddenly the fish nails it because he sees that you know that fish flutter away from it uh, I have seen that time and time and time and time again. Uh, I have seen people on the boat that were really athletic, uh, that could fish all day. Matter of fact, if you handed them a phone cork in an hour, they'd bust a cork. They would, they would, you know, they were hitting it so hard. Uh, I've seen them in certain situations out catch the person that's being, you know, barely moving that cork. Uh, but then I've seen days that the fish want you to, you know, want want the volume of the cork, but then they want the bait to kind of sit sit still. But I've seen more aggressive fish than I have lazy fish in this application. 
uh, by far. So if you've got three people on the boat and, uh, you know, work it three different ways till somebody hooks up. And, and then if you get a second fish, all of a sudden you have a pattern then. Uh, I always say one fish, you, you got it made, two fish make a pattern. And so, so mix it up. Uh, every fish is different, just like every human being. And then, you know, you may like one kind of music. I may like another kind of music. Third person may like another kind of music. I always say, you know, people say fish are, uh, have got a small brain and they don't, they're not supposed to think like that, but it is, uh, I think they definitely have taste and preferences. So uh, again, don't put yourself in that box. So I need to fish this cork exactly this way. And, or I need to fish in this depth of water in this location. Well, I'm, I'm looking at our notes here, our pre-show notes, and I know you want to talk about the resource. And I think with the time we have left, what might be the best way to get you to give us something about the resource is just tell me about I'm successful. I hook a red. I bring it to the boat. Tell me about caring for that fish to get it released. I think I have to bring you back to really talk about the resource. But at least here and now, tell me how to care for that fish I've hooked and I'm going to release to swim away. If you think about the, the, the August and September time frame and the area that we're fishing for these fish, I mean, that, those water temperatures reach, they reach their max. Uh, these fish are on spawn mode. So some of them are going to be pre-spawned, some of them are going to be spawned, some of them are going to be post-spawned. Uh, so if you take a, and you'll intercept all three categories of fish throughout August, throughout September, you know, in October. Uh, I would say be be mindful of that. Uh, everybody has their opinion on these fish, uh, you know, how to handle it. Uh, a lot of folks want to take a photo opportunity. Um, I have done a lot of tagging for the state on these fish on this uh, on these fish for years now, uh, both working for the state when I when I work with fisheries and um, you know as a as a tagging volunteer and. What I've seen off some of the tag data is uh, otherwise a fish may be tagged at 42 inches and he may get caught three years later or four years later and he still may be at 42 or maybe 42 and a quarter inches. Uh, I think some of these trophy fish we're catching are just like, you know, are just like human beings. They've reached their maximum potential. Otherwise that 42 or 43 inch red drum that's as big as he'll ever get. Uh, I think some of these fish have potential to grow, uh, you know, to set records. I mean, we've got several uh, world records right here out of uh, Eastern North Carolina on these fish. I think we hold the current world record right now. So there's potential for great things. There's great experiences out there. Uh, but I would say if you're going to catch this fish, uh, rubber net, if you don't have a rubber net that I handle these fish, a lot of us don't, a lot of us don't have it on the boat, then be mindful of how you, how you grab the fish. Uh, be mindful of if you've caught a lot of these fish and you have uh, someone on your boat that hasn't or hasn't held a fish of that size, if you're holding that fish and you pass it off to someone, just be aware that they may not be ready to hold that weight. Uh, they may not know how to hold the fish. It may freak them out. And worst thing you can do, I think, is let that fish slip 
and it goes down on the deck of the boat and hits its head. Um, from the fish we catch, we, we tag a lot. There's a lot of tag recaptures years later. Um, these fish are pretty hardy. So, you know, I'm not going to deny to anybody the right, uh, you know, to pull fish out of water, to handle it, to touch it, to feel it, to, you know, to, to take part in the, the full experience of the catch and release, get their photo taken of it. Um, we do that for our customers. I always make sure that, hey, you know, are, are you ready to hold this fish? I, I actually let them take it from my hands versus handing it to them because uh, I have seen fish slip. I've been, I've seen other bugs with fish slip and fall on the deck. Uh, so, you know, I'd say just use common sense. You know, there's different areas that handle these fish different. There's, there's, a, there's a trend to the east. A lot of them will grab them by the gill, round their hands up in the gills, hold the fish by the gill plate. Uh, I can tell you this, th those gill rakes are his lifeline. Uh, when you start putting your hands in there, touching gills, I don't think it's any different than anyone touching your lung. I think there's you start opening up cans of, uh, I think you start opening up a can of worms there. So if I had to tell someone my personal experience, keep your hands out of those gill rakes. I would not support a fish by its gill plate, you know, holding it up. Um, but if you cradle that fish, uh, you'll, you'll see us doing that. Uh, some folks have used the fish grip. And, you know they're extending that fish up completely by its you know by its jaw he's not designed to be held that way uh, so I don't know just uh, you know a little common sense goes a long ways and and we all know these fish have made against uh, a lot of odds if you start thinking about a fish from the time he's a fry to uh, when you're catching the largest red drum in the world uh, they've had to uh, they've had to endure some 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 times and we definitely want these fish to be caught again. We definitely want them to spawn successfully. And as this fishery grows, you're going to see more pressure on it. And uh, if you can get that fish back in the water, release it. It's it's just a, it's just a, you're going to make somebody else's day. That's for sure. Man, Mitchell, uh, I know we could go on and on. I I knew this was a big topic, but I I feel like we've done a good job with it. I also know that. You and Fish IBX is more than Big Red Drum, more than Trophy Red Drum. So for my audience now, why don't you give us the highlight reel? Give us the quick highlight reel. What is Fish IBX targeting in the spring, summer, fall, and winter? Spring, summer, fall, winter. Uh, Fish IBX. We are, Gary, we're definitely a 365-day-a-year uh, operation. It is, this is, uh, this is, I'm a full-time guy. Uh, this is what I do day in and day out, uh, thick and thin. And uh, we usually start out our spring. I mean, we're, we're kind of, uh, we're definitely versatile in what we do and what we offer. I mean, you have to stay alive here in East North Carolina to do, to do this full time. Uh, but I'd say primarily we chase, uh, we chase our fish light tackle and fly. Uh, we're pretty big on the artificial aspect. And we chase everything from striped bass is a big one for us. Uh, starts out our, our winter spring uh of course the trophy red drum is a big one for us uh spotted sea trout is a big one for us and you know it's it's probably outside of the uh well it's not not outside the fisherman's post arena but uh i mean we even do stuff you know like crappy fishing in the winter uh brim fishing bass fishing that's kind of 
I cut my teeth fresh water and I definitely uh, definitely hadn't turned my back on it so uh, day in and day out we, we get calls to do everything fresh water salt water uh, and like I say we do cover the Roanoke River Pamlico River and Noose River so it's uh, and I'll tell you as of late uh, we've even gotten into uh, some some lake management for people uh, we've even developed a, uh, a few lakes that we host you know fly fishing seminars on we teach kids fishing corporate events so I mean it's a it's it's a pretty big arena but you know we had to we had to become versatile to uh, you know to do eastern North Carolina especially in our banks at its best and that's kind of our our, our foresight fish IVX so if it happens in inner banks we definitely uh, we've got a hand in it somewhere along the way got it Mitchell man thank you again like it's been fun talking to you always have a good time talking to you wealth of knowledge enjoy fishing with you and appreciate it man appreciate you you know talking to us about big red drum basically on the eve of their appearance man they're you know they're due to show up anytime thank you very much you know to show up man if any uh, if any of the listeners have any questions I mean you could I mean, you could dissect this thing down micro uh, and, and take away so many different aspects. So, I mean, if the listeners ever want to reach out, if you've got any questions, comments, uh, don't hesitate. Pick up the phone, shoot me a text, uh, email. I'll, I'll be glad to answer anything, uh, and, and I'll do it in detail to the best of my ability. I know you will, man. We've had you at the fishing schools, got a long relationship, and once again, man, appreciate it, Mitchell. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Right on, man. Billy. Absolutely, Gary. What's up, man? How's it going? Are you ready to catch a big red drum? I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Well, you got to wait a little bit. They're not here yet. Well, when they are. You're ready. I'm going to be in the shallows. Because that's my takeaway, Gary. I did not realize you can catch one of those big red drum in the shallows. Yeah, man. Because I fish for them, but always in deep water. And be quiet. So. I'm going to need you to be quiet on the boat. <laughs> really quiet. Really quiet. I'm the most quiet person. I, you didn't hear a peep from me this whole show. I didn't. I know. I was being very quiet and taking very good notes. So it was awesome. Oh, man. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to take notes, you can go back and watch this video or, or this uh, or listen to the podcast uh, by visiting one of these sites, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Google Play Music. And as always, it's best just go to our website, FishermansPost.com. Go to the podcast section for all the links and be sure to subscribe rate share all those fun things so yeah man good episode i'm ready to go catch a big red send us your fish photos we'd never complain about getting too many fish photos and send us your fish videos and the instructions are less than one minute please billy this one is in the tank that's awesome or whatever the podcast language is <laughs> in the tank i, I don't know <laughs> all right that's good man all right. all right we'll see you next time next time